chapter 14. Just prior to this passage, Judas has left. And Judas, of course, we all know, is the betrayer of Jesus. And so Jesus is left alone now with his true disciples. And no longer do we read him saying things like, and you are clean, but not all of you. He, he no longer qualifies by pointing out the, the true and the false mixed together because Judas has been sent out. Instead, he strengthens his disciples to face the consequences of that betrayer, Judas, and what he has just gone out to do. He strengthens his disciples to face, ultimately, life without himself physically being present with them. And this is a, this is a sad thing. This is not, a, uh, not something that any of us would be happy about naturally or that the disciples are pleased with. Um, But Jesus commands them not to let their hearts be troubled. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at that, that command, do not let your heart be troubled. It's important that we remember the context, that this is a time of great sadness And that even Jesus, just prior to this, in verse 21, it says, he became troubled in spirit. And so, this is a command um, that in some ways can be hard for us to understand, right? Here Jesus is, he's troubled in spirit at the betrayal of Judas, he's troubled in spirit at what is coming, and yet then he turns around and he says to his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. You can make a distinction between spirit and heart, right? But there's more to it than just that. So please stand for the reading of God's word. From John 13 beginning in verse 33. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? 
I will lay, my, lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you were one of Jesus' disciples at this meal, at this time in history, if you loved him, what would make your heart troubled? What would make your heart troubled of what you just heard? Well, there's a lot of possibilities. One, you just heard that one of your fellow disciples will betray Jesus. That is troubling, right? Two, you just heard that Jesus is leaving, and you can't go with him. That's also troubling, right? Three, you've heard that even Peter, Peter, that most, what? That most committed, of the disciples is going to deny Jesus three times. And yet, Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. Well, let's take that a step further, though. What else is going to trouble their hearts? Not just the things that they just heard. Jesus' exhortation to them, his command to them and to us, is not just for the things that they heard that night. There are many other things that can and will cause us to be troubled in spirit, to to have our hearts be troubled. If you look past just that night and into the future as well, Jesus command, do not let your heart be troubled, is meant to also be a command for them on the day when he is crucified. Do not let your heart be troubled is not a limited time statement for that particular night. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm still here. Come on, I'll give you a hug. That's not what Jesus is saying. 
do not let your heart be troubled, is a command that, that goes out from that night, includes that night, and all the rest of the days and nights into the future, which we're about to see several other things that are very troubling. When Jesus is crucified, the command of Jesus is, do not let your heart be troubled. If you think of Peter, and you think of the, the troubling nature of that night, having heard that he would deny him, <clears throat> that's troubling. You could be tempted, if you were Peter, having heard that, to let your heart be troubled, right? But do you think Peter believed Jesus that night? When Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times? I don't think Peter believed Jesus. We don't get any indication that Peter believed Jesus when he said he was going to deny him three times. So really, Peter was troubled by some of the things that Jesus said that night, but the time when, when Peter was tempted to have a troubled heart was when? After he had actually denied him three times. That is when he faces real troubling in his heart, right? Think about how much worse that time is. Because what also has happened at that point is it's either right before or after Jesus' crucifixion. So Peter denies him. He goes straight to the crucifixion. And then Jesus is gone, just like he said he was going to be here. And the command of Jesus is what? Do not let your heart be troubled. Can you imagine facing your denial of Jesus for those three days while he was in the grave? It's hard to fathom, isn't it? Or, after he was raised and Jesus is asking you, Peter, do you love me? Peter gets troubled when Jesus asks him that, doesn't he? Troubled in heart. Or Thomas. Doubting Thomas, right? Thomas who says, no, he didn't come back to life. No, he didn't rise from the dead. I won't believe it. And then Jesus says, here I am. Here's my hands, here's my side. Facing our sin is troubling, isn't it? What are the things that are troubling our hearts today? Well, there may be any number of things. 
maybe you're concerned about the direction of the American culture. Maybe you're concerned about the increasing likelihood of persecution. Maybe you're troubled by what's going on in the political realm right now. Maybe you're troubled by the increasing abuse of the rights guaranteed us in the Constitution. Maybe you're troubled by the increasing government spending. Maybe you're troubled by the increasing government overreach. Or maybe you're troubled by the direction that the American church is going. Seeing the popularity of heresy, bad doctrine and bad teaching, the thriving of false shepherds, the weakness of church leaders. Or maybe your heart is troubled this morning by family members and loved ones that do not believe that you are mourning over the state of their soul. Maybe your heart is troubled because you feel alone in this world, lost, Maybe your heart is troubled because of people who have sinned against you repeatedly. Maybe your heart is troubled because people have sinned against you not repeatedly, but terribly. Maybe your heart is troubled because you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. You feel like your life lacks purpose. Or maybe maybe your heart is troubled because you feel an inability to even feel things, including a troubled heart. Numb. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm so bad, I can't even have a troubled heart. I can't even connect with my troubled heart. What is feeling stressed besides having a troubled heart? Isn't, 
describing yourself as I feel stressed, is that not saying my heart is troubled? That's what we mean when we say that, right? I am not at ease in my heart. It's trouble. I have worries and cares of this life. Yeah, you could mean I'm, I'm busy. I, f- I feel the weight of a lot of things to do. But feeling the weight of a lot of things to do does not make you feel stressed. Not on its own. Do you understand the difference between those two things? You can have a lot of things to do and be delighted to go and do them. Or you can have a lot of things to do and you can be troubled by it. <laughs> the weight of it. Feeling like it's over much. That God has given you too much sorrow, too much pain, too much work. And so you are stressed. You're, you're troubled in heart. And on top of all of those things that are out there that I've just gone through, the, the political realm and, and the spiritual realm, the church in America today, other people who the state of their souls is troubling to you or their sin against you is troubling to you, or even the feeling of, of stress from outside, what feel like outside pressures coming in on you, then there is the reality of your sin causing your heart to be troubled. Thinking of what you've done, thinking of the consequences of what you've done, Now, there is an appropriate way to be troubled by our sins. There is an appropriate way to be troubled by the sins of others. Jesus mourns over Jerusalem and her rejection of him. He is troubled in heart, so much so that he weeps. And so I don't want you to hear me this morning saying that when Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled, that he is demanding that you look on this world with rose-colored glasses, that you look out on this world pretending as though there is is nothing bad. You, You see the difference, right? I don't want you to hear me this morning saying that you need to delight in false claims of joy, like the paintings of Kincaid, where everything is sweet and beautiful and there is no trouble in the world.
Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. Shortly after, it says that he was troubled in spirit. And so we must be able to distinguish these things. We must understand what this command is saying and what it's not saying. And what it's not saying is pretend like there's nothing wrong. Pretend like sin doesn't exist. Pretend like there are no consequences for sin. Pretend like there is no such thing as evil and original sin and sorrow. David mourns over his sin in the Psalms. What have we sung even this morning? I am evil, born in sin. God desires truth within. David writes, troubled, troubled by his sin. At other times, he writes, troubled by the sins of other people against him. Those who ate and drank with him at his own table betrayed him. And of course, Jesus says that David is talking about him. Here, this very night, And likewise, he is troubled in spirit. But, this statement of Jesus, okay, so you think of your sin, you think, okay, well, at the very least, I know that I should be troubled in, in my heart about my own sin. Right? Well, there are still two ways of being troubled in your heart, even about your own sin. And remember, this this command, do not let your heart be troubled, it comes right after Jesus had told Peter that Peter would deny him. Immediately after. Verse 38, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled. A rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled. How do those two things go together? The sins of our life are many. Along with many other burdens that weigh our hearts down and trouble them. And so how are we to not have troubled hearts, seeing our own sins, seeing the sin of others, seeing creation groaning under the sin 
of Adam and all of Adam's descendants waiting for that day when it will all be made right. Right there, that, that begins to give you a hint at how. How your heart is to not be troubled. All of creation does groan, and yet it is looking forward, it is awaiting something. It's looking forward to a day when all of that will be undone, when all of it will be made right. Jesus explains his command further when he says, Believe in God, believe also in me. Do not let your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. What is he saying? He's saying, trust my words. Trust the words of Jesus. Why? Well, because over and over and over again, he has made clear in the book of John, we see how often this is a theme, that Jesus is only ever doing and saying what the Father has told him. What the Father has given him to say. In other words, the absolute truth of Jesus' statements. Believe in God. Believe also in Him. What are the things that God has said? What are the things that Jesus has said? Well, he goes on and he gives us some delightful promises. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also." And you know the way where I am going. All of these things are just declared by Jesus to be true. Immediately after he says, believe me. Believe in God, believe also in me. And so what do we see? Well, These promises, you know, the promise of a dwelling place in heaven with Jesus. Let's think back through the things that are causing their hearts to be troubled. The fact that he's leaving and you can't go with him. What does he say? but you will be with me in the end. In fact, not just you will be with me, but I will come back. 
after completing the work of building a place for you to live with me, I'm going to come back and get you and take you there. That's a delightful promise. What is that place? It's his father's house. It has many rooms, much space. I've spent quite a bit of time in the last week talking to people and thinking about art, the purpose of art. And one of the things that I've realized is, you know, we're today we're very keen on stories, right? We all like a good uh, narrative instead of a uh, simple, what, declaration. We, we want everything in story form for us because stories hold our interest, stories are more exciting, right? And really, what's, what is writing a good story besides art? Well, <clears throat> if, you think about, if you think about the, the ways that we learn and, and come, to, uh, come to a greater appreciation for the truths that we have here in this passage, a lot of them include art, don't they? If you think about, um, you know, some examples are uh, C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, right? Just just filled with stories, some of them better than others in my opinion, Uh, but you have, you have these wonderful stories that demonstrate the, the cleansing power of Aslan with his sharp claw cutting off the scales, right? You guys remember this story? And it's, it's helpful to us because it takes the truth that we have in God's word and it puts it into art and into a story form that makes it easier for us to grasp. But we can't ever let it stop at at that simple level of, I like that story. That was a pleasing story to me. I like the thought of what it conveys the, the hope that's in that story is meant to be a hope that then we learn more deeply and grasp more fully than any story can possibly convey. If you think of Tolkien when who is it, Sam says, are, are, or is it, is it Frodo who says, you know, are all of the bad things that happen going to come untr- untrue? 
not quite the right quote, but you know, he's, he's so blown away by the good things that are happening after all of the bad things that, are, that have happened. And what is that besides a wonderful story of the, uh, the power that God has to set things right that have been wrong, that are painful, that are miserable, that are making your heart hurt, that have left you troubled. But don't look to Lord of the Rings and wish that you lived there. Don't look to Lord of the Rings and think, what a fantastic story, I wish it were true. It is true. That is the point of art, is to declare God's truth to us in beautiful ways, such that we remember it, such that we can grasp it, such that we hold on to it. But unless you take that truth and you, and you hold on to it, it's, it's of no benefit to, to a non-believer to read Lord of the Rings and to think, man, wouldn't that be great if only all the bad things would come untrue, you know? The benefit in it is that it is true. And that's the promise that Jesus gives here. He is going. He is going away. And you're going to be troubled by that. There are bad things happening. Judas is out betraying him. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe. Trust him. That even the bad things that are happening, God is turning to good. That when Jesus dies, it is for our benefit. That when he goes away into heaven, it is to prepare a place in his Father's house so that he then can come back and take us there. And what of that house? Is it shameful to to think of the pleasures of that house? The house of the Father, the house of our Father. It's a big, big house. And if you want to put that into song, more power to you. It's got lots and lots of rooms. That's joyful. There's nothing wrong with singing about that. But you better believe it. What is the purpose of a catchy melody and a, and a, and a good bass line and fun drums, 
if it's not to actually bring that truth to bear on you more powerfully. It's, we are meant to rejoice, to take comfort in the fact that there is no lack of room. Everybody who he calls, he will bring there. Everybody he will dress appropriately. And so he promises. Right after he says, don't let your heart be troubled. He promises a dwelling place in heaven with him. But this promise is only given to those who believe. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Who? Those who believe in God and believe also in him. None of these promises apply to Judas. And so what does that say to us? Well, it says to us that we, along with David, along with Jesus, can delight in God's punishment of the wicked. Those who have harmed you, those who have abused you, those who have troubled your hearts. You know one of two things about them. Either... they will bear the wrath of God for all eternity. For their troubling of you. For their hatred of God. Or, their sins like yours will be washed away. Or they will be with you in heaven and you will delight with them there to be in God's presence because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has clothed them. Now you can take comfort in those two options, both of them. You must take comfort in both of those options. Don't let your heart be troubled. Justice will be served. And either it was served on the cross, or it will be served for all eternity. Regardless, God is not allowing sin to go unchecked. God is not allowing the wicked to obliterate his good plan. Believe him. 
and look forward to that day, along with all of creation, groan for it. But groan believing that it will come. Don't let your heart be troubled. It is better for Jesus to go and prepare a place for us. It is better for him to go because he is the one who opens the gates to that house. He is the firstborn from the dead. Apart from him making that way open, the rest of the body cannot follow. He is the head. He opens the pathway. We are familiar with this. It's necessary. It's good. But then there's doubts that creep in, right? He says we know the way, and and like Thomas, we still feel confusion. Don't we? How? I mean, we don't even we don't even know where you're going. Where is heaven? Much less how to get there. And how does Jesus reply? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In this passage, Calvin said, that everybody knows, we all know that ultimate happiness is found in God. But then we go wrong by trying to find and draw near to God in something besides Jesus Christ. There are a lot of things that we think we need in order to be happy in Christ. There are a lot of things that we think we need to know about God, about Christianity, and so forth. Why do people take drugs? Why why do... Why is heroin an epidemic today in our county, right here? People you know, people you see, even if you don't know it. Why do people do drugs? Usually, it's because They are turning to something besides God to try to calm their troubled hearts. 
Now, if you go back through times of economic upheaval and so forth, you can, you can see that uh, just, just like heroin is, is a bigger problem than its addictiveness would imply it should be today, all right? There have been times in the past where other things were pursued and were a bigger problem than you would have any expectation for them to be. And so the world can look at this and it can say, well, you remember back in, of course, none of us remember it, but you know, you, you look at the history books and, and, uh, and you go back into the previous time that there was a huge, huge economic upheaval during the course of the Industrial Revolution. And does anybody know what the thing was, not heroin, but what the thing was that everybody was turning to and saying was such a problem, people were dying from it, so forth? Anybody know? What's that? Opium, there was a big time of opium. Yep, that was another one. But that's, another, that's, that's drugs. You may as, well call it, may as well call it heroin. Alcohol. Yeah. And not just any alcohol. Uh, what was it? Gin. Gin specifically, in other words, not just drugs, but heroin. Not just alcohol, but gin. Why was gin so attractive? Why, was, you know, why is heroin so attractive? And, and, and if you ask the world, the world says, oh, it's just because there's been, you know, there's been this economic upheaval and people don't know what to do with their lives and they feel like their life is meaningless or that they don't have any control or ability to work and to make enough money and to be a productive member of society and so they're without hope and so they turn to you fill in the blank. I mean, heroin is a big problem. Heroin is an epidemic, but You guys know what Twitch TV is? I got one yes. Come on. Well, even if you don't know the name, watching people play video games. Over 50% of millennial men watch people play video games. What is the deal? Not even playing video games. Watching people play video games. It's like heroin. That's what's going on. Heroin doesn't hold a candle to watching people play video games. Not because... Just in sheer numbers.
It's a lot safer. It's a lot less cultural uh, condemnation and baggage that go along with it. So you don't have to feel any guilt or any worry. You can just escape your troubled heart by watching somebody play video games. But it'll destroy you just as fast as heroin will. We all know ultimate happiness is only found in God. What are you turning to to calm your troubled heart? You'll even hear people confusing the peace or the high that drugs provide with a religious experience. You ever heard that? I had a religious experience or a religious awakening. You guys are all looking at me like, we don't know people who do drugs. How about this? Have you ever had somebody talk about anything aside from turning to follow Jesus Christ and saying that they had, they experienced, and they they had an an encounter, or that they that they're very spiritual people? I mean, you can hear people talking about shopping this way, right? I just, I just needed, the kids were, and so I had to go and just, I just had to run away and do some shopping for a weekend. And it gave, it gave, it was such, it was such a delight. It gave me such a, I could take deep breaths and be like, ah, oh, this, this feels good. And then you look down on people who are shooting up with heroin. Lord, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? We're just going to run around all over the place looking for the way, looking for things that are maybe the way. And Jesus says, no, you already know the way. When he said, you know the way, he wasn't lying, he wasn't wrong. Our ability to confuse it and try a lot of other ways has nothing to do with the fact that we do know the way. We know the way. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Here, Jesus simplifies everything. Remember when Paul says he determined to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified? That's Jesus here. Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Just believe in God. 
believe also in me. And you think, well, I need to make sure that I get all my theology right. I need to make sure that I get all of this other stuff done in life. I need to make sure that I'm pursuing sanctification. How can he say, you know, how can Jesus just simplify it so much? How can Paul say, I only knew Jesus Christ and him crucified? You don't need to know a lot to have peace in God. You can be just as confused and unaware of all kinds of things as Thomas is. And when Jesus says, you know the way, and then he simplifies it and he says, it's, it's really simple and straightforward. I am the way. To keep your heart from being troubled, believe in Jesus and know you are on the correct path. You are on the way. And then, what, what possibly can trouble your heart? If God is for you, who can be against you? If he's given you his spirit, if he's changed your heart, what possible sin can undo it? If you believe in Jesus, you are on the correct way. If you believe in Jesus, you have all the knowledge you need. He is the truth. Believe in him, you have the truth. If you believe in Jesus, you have the eternal life that he has promised. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in him. Let's pray.